My name's Cole Hatter, and I'm here to inspire you to go bigger with your dreams and goals so that you can go bigger with your profits. Welcome to the Go Big to Get Big podcast, where we are challenging six-figure earners to become seven-figure givers. My name is Randy Mullen, and each week, my co-host Steve Arneson and I are interviewing successful entrepreneurs, professional athletes, philanthropists, and other high-performing humans that are inspiring us with their stories. We go deep into uncovering how they have become successful and why generosity is an impact they want to leave on this world. Our mission is to have you leave this podcast wanting to go bigger with your dreams and goals so that you can give bigger with your profits. Let's not waste any more time and jump right into it. All right, today's episode is a special one as we got to interview the man who inspired us to create the Go Big to Give Big movement, Cole Hatter. If you've never heard of Cole before, he's a successful real estate investor and business owner, and he really wanted to do more in life than just make money. He wanted to make his money matter. Cole has run an event called Thrive Make Money Matter, where he has inspired thousands of people to make more money and then use it to do good in this world. In this episode, you'll get to see Cole's passion and fire come out as we ask him why he believes entrepreneurs are the ones that are going to change the world. And we also ask how and why he bought an orphanage in Mexico and how they're expanding it. And we also go into a little bit of how he became friends with some of the top entrepreneurs in the world, like Grant Cardone, Ed Milet, and Andy Frisilla. You also will want to stay to the end of this episode to listen to his favorite moment of giving, where he shares about how being in a good financial position allowed him to help pay for a surgery so one of their close family friends could walk again after an accident. It will give you goosebumps and leave you inspired to do so much good in this world. I could probably do a 20-minute introduction about how much Cole has helped us, but I'll let you learn all about him in this incredible episode. All right, I am fired up to welcome our good friend and the guy that actually inspired us to create the Go Big to Get Big movement, Cole Hatter, to the show. Cole, welcome. What's up, guys? Super stoked to be here. Yeah, obviously you've had a huge impact in our life and inspired us to do some really incredible things. And we'll get into that as we go through some of these stories. But one of the things that you said along the way that inspired Steve and I the most is something I'd love for you to dive a little bit deeper into. And you're just talking about how you believe entrepreneurs are going to be the ones that change the world. And that is something that Steve and I have stuck with and ingrained into ourselves. And the way that we speak now is that entrepreneurs are actually going to be the ones to go out and make impact and change in this world. And I'd love for you to explain that philosophy to our listeners. Totally. And it's, it's already exists in that way. And so it's just a matter of observing what already is. And so When it comes to entrepreneurs, every single product and service in the world solves a problem or makes life more convenient, right? And if your product doesn't, then you don't have a business, or at least it's not going to work out for you in the long run. And so entrepreneurs by design are already solving, at least at an individual level, the problems, concerns, et cetera, and increasing quality of life to have a business. So we're already in the mindset of being problem solvers. Then when you look at nonprofits who exist to give back and where the majority of their funding comes from, 
oftentimes their largest donors are entrepreneurs. Of course, there are many employed people who love to give and there's by no means am I trying to take away from everybody who has a job and still gives to their favorite charity. But when you look at the books of these nonprofits, it's usually their strategic alignment with certain businesses or owners of businesses to where the majority of their funding comes from. And so entrepreneurs are already solving the world's problems. Entrepreneurs are already funding the world's organizations. Let's just call it what it is and say that entrepreneurs are literally the ones that are going to solve the world's problems if they just decided to do so. And that's why you and I are in such alignment with the for-purpose business movement of, hey, let's not just make money. Let's make change. Let's not just make profits. Let's be purposeful of how we're running our companies and almost eliminate the nonprofits because if each business owner attached to some cause or some charity or some social injustice that they wanted to fight for and directly took it upon themselves to to fund those initiatives and even in some cases internally staff the people to fight those initiatives right and that depends on people's bandwidths and, and goals you can do both and we can dive into that deeper if you want to but it's just a matter of the businesses declaring it. They already are solving problems. They already are funding the initiatives. It's just them saying, okay, we are a business that does this and going out there and changing the world. And then we can get into the the economics of it. When it comes to entrepreneurs solving problems, we are the ones that employ everybody. The majority of people who are employed in America, I know you guys are up in Canada, and so I can't speak for Canada, but I imagine it's very similar up there. The majority of the employed people work for small businesses. So even those small businesses don't have a ton of employees because there are so many small businesses. And by small, I'm not talking about one or two or three. That that counts too. But you know, let's call it businesses of a hundred people or less, middle sized to small businesses. Those are the majority of the employers. So the people that are running a hundred or less employee companies are employing the masses already. And so what if you empowered your employees to not just show up and be personal assistants or accountants or whatever it was, but that they too had some role in effective change in the world. And so I can go on this topic for an hour. I'm passionate about it, but I'm already seeing the entrepreneurs just to come back full circle, solving the world's problems. And I think that we, being the three of us and those of us that are participating in this conversation, need to kind of put a bit more pressure on the entrepreneurial community to say, hey, instead of just very privately writing checks to charity, which is important, I don't think that being arrogant and boastful about charitable contribution looks good either, but being intentional about talking about that's your brand's story. Say, hey, listen, how we give is for us personally to know. We're not going to transparently talk about how much money we give away or however that would look because some people are uncomfortable with that, right? But to say we are a business who gives back, how we give back and to where we give back, hopefully you're comfortable being public about. But the fact that you are a business that is not just designed to make money, but is designed to give back also, that conversation's sexy to people. I can't tell you how many times I'm on an airplane or when I get a chance to meet someone new who says, what do you do? And I explain my businesses. And then of course, I explain what my businesses do of funding the orphanage or working with women and children or victims of human trafficking, or whichever business it is and whichever social cause I've connected to. Never once ever do they care to hear more about the business. The only thing that they care here to hear more about is how I'm helping these people. They like, wait, 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 stop. You're a real estate guy. That's fine. But wait, tell me more about the orphanage. And so people are thirsty to be a part of something bigger than a money-making machine. People, believe in God or not, 
We are designed to want to give back. Tony Robbins says the secret to living is giving. And there's all types of whether you want to look at Christianity or Mormonism or being Muslim or any of the established organized religions or even complete people who are atheists and have no religious belief system. All people equally want to contribute. It is how we are designed outside of our theology and our religious upbringing or lack thereof. We are designed to want to be significant and to want to know that we have done something for someone else. And so why not just make that a daily practice in the business? And so again, I'm passionate about this. I'll wind my answer up there, but business owners are already solving the world's problems. So let's just solve the social problems too. I love that, man. I love watching you get fired up and passionate about it. Steve and I have seen it multiple times. And as you tend to get fired up and passionate, one of the things that you start doing is what you've said in there is we as business owners actually need to step up more and and step into the light and be prominent in what we're saying. And one of the things you say is that if you're not looking at adding a cause to your business or going for purpose, as we call that, you're going to get left behind. And I'd yeah. love for you just to touch on that quickly of what are some of the trends you're seeing? What are some of the ways that you're seeing that improve for employers and their employee relationships, things like that in this space? Sure. And I've done a ton of research on this and there are consumers study reports global, by the way, this isn't some American or Canadian idea. This is a global movement, but global consumer reports have said that the majority, and I don't remember this offhand, it's in my TEDx talk. You all can go Google that, but the majority somewhere in the 80th percentile or above of consumers want businesses to be connected to some sort of a charity or cause. They want to know that they are effectively doing philanthropic consumerism. And so the way that the world is moving as some of our older generations that are set in their ways are aging out and retiring, this new wave of consumers of the majority of people that are spending money in our economy have this sort of woo aspect to them that we haven't seen in previous generations. They don't just want a quality pair of headphones. They want to know, like go buy Beats by Dre. They've got some great sounding headphones and look cool and trendy. But by buying Listen headphones from a young lady named Bridget, they know that some child somewhere that was deaf now has the hearing aids that they needed to hear for the first time ever. And there's this very strong movement of consumerism going towards for-purpose businesses. So it sounds cool, but the reality is if you don't adapt and incorporate a for-purpose element into your business, then you will be left behind. And there are the consumer reports out there that will show you that you that they even said, this one I believe was 89% of consumers said that if they were doing business with Nike and Nike is their brand of shoes and they love wearing Nikes, but then all of a sudden Tom's has a comparable product. Let's say that Tom's shoes started doing jogging shoes. And for those of you that are unfamiliar with Tom's, when they hit the market, they had the one for one model for every pair of shoes they sold, they gave a pair away. As a consumer, if they have comparable products, of course, if your product sucks, doesn't matter who you're helping, no one's going to want to do business with you. But if your product is as good as your competitor, but your product is the one that has some charitable thing that happens by them doing a purchase with you, 89% of customers, consumers said they would stop doing business with Nike and start doing business with Tom's Shoes instantly, knowing that if they were to continue to buy Nikes, they're just making shareholders happy. But by buying Tom's, kids around the world are getting shoes, their first pair of shoes for oftentimes in their entire lives. And so if 89% of consumers say, if you build a product that is comparable, it is quality, it works, it, it does what I need it to do, and you're giving back, 
89% say that they would come to you over your competition. So to your question, Randy, of people needing to adapt or getting left behind, it's not just a matter of being left behind of something that I believe we have a responsibility to do as entrepreneurs. I think that giving back isn't an option. It is a responsibility that we have, even if it just in our local communities of wherever your business is located, of giving back locally in some capacity, whatever it is. I think that's our responsibility. But beyond that, my goal personally is to put anybody out of business that doesn't want to do this. My goal is to be on enough podcasts and be on enough stages and to say enough TEDx talks or whatever it is to where the for purpose movement just becomes the way that business is done. And so for anybody that thinks it's crazy or thinks that we're ridiculous and would never do it, you literally lose your customers. That this is a non-optional, non-negotiable shift that every business needs to go through because it's not just about responsibility. It should just be the way that business is done. And I've got this romantic idea that within the next decade to two decades at most, that this conversation will have grown through my efforts, your guys' efforts, and just the world as it's evolving in this direction anyway, that the expectation a consumer has on a business is that there is some social aspect or we as consumers refuse to do business with those businesses anymore. We say, if you're just here to make money, then you're not getting dollars from me at all. And so as we continue to champion this conversation, it is inevitable that there will be more and more pressure on businesses to convert to for purpose. And for those that just don't want to because they just want to make money and not give back, which says a lot about that person. I think that those are fewer and further between types of human beings. But heaven forbid there's a handful of those out there. God bless you. Your business isn't going to work for long because consumers just won't want to give you money anymore. There's so many different pieces that complement that stat as well. Oh, yeah. And like one of the, one of the things that we focused on a little bit, but I don't think many businesses or companies have really quite tapped into. I know a few for sure, but when you look at the the demographical shift that's taking place right now from I'll call baby boomers to millennials, that shift right now, you ask any millennial which they're more passionate about, it's always going to be having more positive impact on some sort of social piece. And so I think we're early enough in that that bell curve that it's still easy to hop on and really be ahead of the curve on it, but it's not gonna it's not gonna last long to be really ahead of it instead of just joining the pack. But Cole, you've been a role model for us for I think six years, maybe even a little bit longer, but and for many other people, because you've been you're a wonderful human being. You're Thank a you excellent business person. You're a great husband from what I've seen, great father from what I've seen. And so tapping into the business side of things, what has been some of the pillars or essentials that have helped your businesses be successful? Delegation. I am not the smartest person. I'm not the hardest worker. I'm not the most creative. I do pretty well, but I am not some prodigy child turned entrepreneur success. And so I was really good at being objective in my own self-evaluation of knowing my strengths and weaknesses and filling those voids with other people pretty quickly. Mm. When I get a new idea, the second part of my new idea is always, who do I need to make this work? And a friend of mine, his name is Dean Graziosi. He and I were at an event that I was hosting. He was speaking at, we were backstage And I was talking to him a little bit about my businesses. And he said something to me that stuck with me that has served me well. And he said, Cole, you keep talking about the what, the what, the what, what should I do here? What should I do there? What software, what email address, what this? He said, it's not always the what, sometimes it's the who. Sometimes to get from where you are, if you're stuck in your business to where you want to be, it isn't something you're missing, it's someone. And 
he talked about how hiring people, he takes more pride in than like buying a supercar. It's like, I can go buy a Lamborghini for 250 grand, or I can hire another C-level executive in my company for 250 grand. Mm -hmm. And by doing that, it could be another $10 million to me. I could buy all the Lamborghinis I want. And so I've heard this obviously a ton before, but the way that Dean communicated to me backstage that day really shifted. This is earlier in my career. It really shifted my perspective. And so grabbing human beings and finding synergy and getting them aligned with my mission because mutual alignment matters. People will work for a paycheck, but they'll work for a purpose way, way more. They'll give, they'll give you way more effort. You'll get way more from your people. To If they're in alignment with the core mission and values of your organization, and a paycheck is a byproduct of them feeling in alignment with their calling and their purpose, you find superstars. And I hope that's communicating uh, correctly on the podcast is I hear people say, do you hire for skills? like they have the right degree or do you hire for like culture? They're the right attitude. And it seems that the majority of people go towards culture. And, and I probably lean towards that too. Give me someone who's hungry and has a badass work ethic. I could teach them the skills. I can't teach someone to be hungry and a badass, right? That being said, I would go one level further and I don't just find someone who culturally is a fit, who is a badass and who is hungry, who may or may not have the skill sets I need. I want to get to know that person and make sure that working in my organization furthers them in their life journey. Because I know that I'm not going to have them for the rest of their life. I might have them for just a season of their life, whatever that looks like, a couple of months or a couple of years. And while they are connected to me, whenever we part ways as friends in the future, I want them to have been moved further down the road of what they believe their God-given mission in life is. And when you can find that type of alignment that I say, hey, you're a third-party person. I've got this company here. You've got some of the skills I need. We can develop the ones that you may or may not have. You're the right cultural fit, but more importantly, what you're telling me is important to you is exactly what we do here. Then those type of hires blow me out of the water. And in the areas that I'm hiring them, where again, as I said earlier, I'm weak in, they are so much more better than I am and so much more dominant in that part that then makes my whole business work better. So the takeaway for your listeners is, if you're stuck in business or trying to grow, and in my case, it wasn't even a matter of being stuck. It was just a matter of scale. It was just a matter of continuing to go from six to seven figures, seven to eight figures, and now multiple eight figures is I was looking for the what. And in a lot of cases, it is sometimes SOPs or technology or a what, but oftentimes it's a who. And I think that a lot of your audience might fall into the solopreneur category. Don't take pride in that. It's a good thing to be a solopreneur. I get it. You get to wear board shorts and flip-flops like I do every day at work. And that's great. But there may be a time beyond a virtual assistant where you need to start bringing in outside talent that are better in the areas that you're weak in. And so back to your original question, where I got to or how I got to where I am in business is all on the credit of the people I surrounded myself to. If I take any credit at all, it's finding killers, man. I find absolute killers in business who are amazing human beings, who my organization helps further them in their life's mission. And by that sort of synergy, we crush. And I then get to come on podcasts right here and brag about how great my businesses are when the reality is I'm just the guy that's the glue holding it all together and the actual work and the manifestation. I mean, the experiences that you guys have had in my events, I was the visionary, but I had a team as of 
a core team of five people that made it actually manifest into the experience that you guys have had. And I get so many compliments from Thrive specifically. This is the best event I've ever been to. Oh my gosh, like this is better than anything I've ever experienced. 100% because of the amazing human beings that I've hired. And so the next question is where do you find these people? And that's a whole nother conversation. Referrals is always where I start. People know people who know who I am and how I operate oftentimes already have the right referrals for me. They're not going to refer someone who would be a bad mix, if that makes sense. But finding the right people is clutch. Yeah. I love that, man. The delegation, the alignment of team and culture, and then your own commitment to their personal growth, I think is excellent keys to success. And you mentioned the the circle that you have from, from your events. And I want to ask you a little bit about how a lot of our audience can start to create that really high or excellent level of circle of influence without actually having an event like Thrive. Yeah, Is there a way that people can start to curate that for themselves yeah. or... Do you need Same to start a podcast and start an event? Same way I have. So so I will be transparent and say that my event that I hosted has been the absolute best way to meet people. It's literally why we're friends because you ended up in my event one day and then we decided to continue a friendship going forward. So I, I'd be remiss to not at least say if anybody listening to this has considered kicked around the idea of doing an event, I would say absolutely go for it because from a network building perspective, I've done nothing better. The only thing second to my events that is almost as equally as powerful are the times that I've paid for proximity, the masterminds that I join and the communities that I'm a part of. So when I am the head of my own organization like Thrive, it's the fastest and easiest way to meet people because you're the man or you're the woman, like you're the top and everyone's there for you. But I have strategic people who are either the hosts of masterminds who I want to get close to. I have no shame in admitting that Ed Milet and Andy Frisella, Grant Cardone introduced me to Ed Milet at one of the 10X growth conferences. He and I exchanged contact info and we texted and we had a couple of phone calls. So he was a homie of mine, but not necessarily a friend yet. We had only just had 15, 20 conversations over about a year. Then he called me one day and said, I'm hosting a mastermind. It's $50,000 a year. I want you to do it. And I was like, oh man, I'm super busy and all the excuses. And he's like, brother, trust me, do it. And, and then he said that he was doing it with Andy Frisella. And I was like, you know what? I've never met Andy Frisella. He's blowing up at this point. I think he had like maybe six, 700,000 followers. Now he's got millions, but he was blowing up the real, not real F, excuse me. What was this prep? CEO project was a great and growing podcast. So he's someone I wanted to meet. So I was like, all right, Ed. I didn't say this to Ed, but in my brain, I was thinking, if I join your mastermind, then that will give me better proximity to you where I can develop a true friendship with you and not just be a phone call text friend. It'll give me a chance to meet Andy as well and to develop a friendship with him. And then if everybody else in the room spending $50,000 to be there, they're obviously people that I want to hang out with. So yes, I'll go. So I did it for two years until COVID came and then they put their, they kind of put it on hiatus. I would have continued to stay in their mastermind. Fast forward. I've become actually even, I would say, closer friends with Andy Fursell now than even Ed because Ed's so busy traveling around. Andy and I have gone into a big cadence. I was just in St. Louis hanging out at Andy's house like three weeks ago. So we've become great friends. Ed and I developed a friendship and have become great friends as well. And I've gone on to become business partners with some of the people in that mastermind where I spent a total of a hundred grand, two years of 50,000 before they put it on pause. I've, I could easily show you two to $3 million that I've made from the relationships from that group, 
but then the opportunities and the endorsements of that have come from an ad being in my corner of me wanting big speakers and the other speakers being like, we don't know you. And me being like, well, go ahead and ask Andy Frisella, go ahead and ask Ed Milet what they think about me as a human, as a businessman and my events and whether you want to associate your brand with me or not. And then they're my advocates, right? They're my evangelists. So I'm only using that as an example. I've got dozens of masterminds that I have joined over the years. That was one example of where I paid for proximity. It might sound shallow. It isn't intended to be. I'm not buying friendship with these people. I'm paying to be in the room with them. And then it's up for me to show up in a way where I'm not nagging and I'm not asking for anything. I'm coming to create value. And that's what I did with Ed and Andy. I said, not only did I pay to be here, how can I help? So there was one or two events where they had AV technical difficulties and I'm kind of an AV gangster. So I ran from the back of the room to the backstage and I fixed it for them. And just a couple of things where they're like, dude, you're paying to be here. You're not allowed to work. And I'm like, I got you. I'll, I'll drive the freaking buses around and move us all if you need me to. And that attitude of being like, yes, I paid. And yes, I'm still here to support you and show up and work if I need to. Plus they had me run their breakouts and things like that. That's where I earned their friendship. So maybe that was a bit too long of an answer for what you were looking for, but how I built my network was I paid to be in the room with these people. Now, some people listening to this might say, well, Cole, I'm brand new. I don't have any money to get started. Neither did I. When I started off in business, I was a broke missionary. Like I had no money at all. And so then I would just pay hundreds of dollars. And if you can't get a few hundred dollars together, then you're just not a business owner. And self-awareness is super important. Maybe you'd be better as an intrapreneur. And I'm not even being disrespectful and I'm being dead serious. I think a lot of people try to be entrepreneurs that life would serve you so much better if you just found someone like an Ed or an Andy or a Steve or a Randy or even myself and became an intrapreneur where you have total freedom to act like an entrepreneur within our organization. So there's an ecosystem for you to thrive in. That being said, if you can't raise a few hundred bucks to go to an event, you're not an entrepreneur. You're just not. You can't solve that type of problem. Save yourself the pain and go become an entrepreneur or keep a job. Assuming you can find two, three, 400 bucks, then you can go to basically any event I've ever seen out there. Traffic and conversion summit and all of these bigger events have a lower tiered ticket to get you in the door. Now it's up to you to network like a gangster and meet as many people as possible. Back to your question, Steve. The number one thing that built my network was hosting my own event. The number two thing that built my network was going to other people's events and masterminds 10 times more than events have been where I've curated amazing friendships, business partners, like true business partners, not partners like we're friends doing business together, partners like we own companies, 50-50 LLCs that have payroll and employees now that have made me millions of dollars. But then to your point, have built my network and have created really strategic friendships and relationships with me that are not just great people that I'll enjoy doing life with, but people that are pouring into me. Being friends with a guy like Andy and Ed, if I'm having a crisis and I text them, hey, bro, I know you're busy. I need five minutes of your time. I'm literally losing my mind right now. Could you ever just let me throw up on you, verbal, verbal throw up for five minutes to have someone like Andy and Ed. I did this once with Ed. I texted him that I was having a problem, a marriage issue. Not that Sonny and I were having a conflict, but there was a third party that was really making a part of my marriage challenge. And I won't go into the details. Just know that my wife and I were great. It was a third party irritant of how we as a couple should handle this. And Ed called me instantly. I texted him. I thought I would get a text in the next day or two of like a time in the week. He called me instantly. And coincidentally, he and his wife had gone through the exact same challenge where there's a third party irritant. We'll just leave it at that. 
And he walked me through it. So it's not just about making money, you guys. It's about curating friendships of people who can pour wisdom into your life. So start going to events, join the masterminds. And if you're in the place and position to do so, host your own event if you want to build your network. I am living proof that it works. I think one of the things too that I've recognized is one of the biggest differentiators between just networking at events versus masterminds themselves, where people at events are interested, people who are in masterminds are committed. Yeah, 100%. And it's the financial threshold too, guys. Well, people a lot of times will hit me up on social media and ask to take me to lunch or dinner. And I say, no, join my mastermind. They're like, oh, it's all about the money. Hell yeah, it's about the money. Because that means that you actually care about my answer. If I take you out to lunch, or excuse me, you take me out to lunch, you've invested what, $80 into the answer? Or if you invested $30,000 into my mastermind, the things I tell you, you're going to have to use to get your money back. So hell yeah, I don't need your money. I'm in a position financially now from just my real estate cash flow. My passive income pays my bills. I don't need to work anymore. But your financial commitment tells me that you're actually committed to doing something too. Before you guys pressed record, I was singing you guys praises about how proud I am of you two coming up, joining my mastermind and playing small when you joined and flipping the switch. And now you guys are absolutely crushing it. Development projects, raising $13, $14 million. I mean, you guys are playing huge and hosting your own mastermind now, which is awesome. You guys needed to spend the money to get into my program for me to however I've helped you over the years in any way that I have, and I hope it was a lot for you to get that attention from me. And so so for any of you who are listening that once again, think that might sound shallow, no. Doctors, my wife's very pregnant right now. We have a doctor's appointment today at 145 for him to just check my son to make sure everything's good and that we're on schedule for our delivery in like a week. I'm gonna have to pay like $800 for this visit. This guy already knows this information. He could easily meet with my wife and I and do this appointment for free. Why is he going to charge me? Because he's an expert and because he has seen so many other pregnant women that I'm not just paying him for his hundreds of thousands of dollars for his degree, but I'm paying him for his decades of experience to make sure that my wife and my baby have the best chance for a successful delivery. And I'm happy to do so. That's why we, being myself and you two and anyone else, charge for our masterminds is because we want to make sure that you're financially committed, but then also there's value in the information that we're sharing with people. And so that threshold, that barrier to entry, I completely agree with you, Steve. The more expensive something is, not always, but almost always, means the more committed the individual is getting in and the higher caliber or quality the other members will have as well, because if it's a higher threshold to get in, only a higher level gets in. And if you can put yourself in those rooms and sit at those tables and not be a total douchebag, it is inevitable that you will start to build your network, period. That's incredible. And 100% what we did with you was heard you on a podcast, went to your event, got into the mastermind, spent the money, improved our circle of influence, and that really leveled our game up. And it's just been such a game changer for us to get in those rooms. I want to pivot this and it'll tag into masterminds, but I know you've partnered with somebody that came into your mastermind to start doing some incredible stuff for your orphanage down in Mexico. Yeah, And I would love for you to share just a little bit about your experience in Mexico, how you actually went in to go purchase an orphanage in Mexico, and then now what you're doing into scaling it and the vision behind it. Because I know you've got some incredible stuff coming down the pipeline. Yeah. And I'm glad you brought this up. So and connected it to Danny too. So Danny is a paying member of my mastermind. He found me on Instagram. It's just however the world of tagging people works. He stumbled across my mastermind, liked what I had to say, followed me, 
saw me talking about my mastermind, shot me a DM and said, I want in. He went through the interview process and he joined. So the only reason I give Danny's background is to say this was a complete stranger who I had never met in the real world. It was my mastermind that brought us together. After a few years of him being in the mastermind, we developed a great friendship. He has the same heart to give that I do. And I've had an orphanage in Mexico that I started in 2010 by myself that I have self-funded all the way up until November of last year. I don't really talk a ton about it because it's one of those things I, I have no problem sharing. I'm a Christian and growing up reading the Bible says, give with your right hand without the left hand knowing. Surely if you boast your good deeds in front of men, you've been rewarded in full. And what that's basically saying is if you only do good things to brag about it, then you look cool in front of people, but God doesn't really care. You're supposed to give because it's the right thing to do and not give because you want attention from others. So I kept my orphanage pretty private. I would talk about it because I'm proud of it, but I wouldn't talk about the fact that my wife and I completely self-funded it. And Danny pulled me aside one day and we don't have time for this podcast to go through our whole conversation, but he completely shifted my mind. He basically said, isn't your orphanage give you the best feeling in the world? I said, yes. And he said, then why wouldn't you want to share that feeling with anybody else? Why are you being selfish and keeping it for yourself? He's like, I want in and I want to turn it into an actual 501c3 where instead of you're just funding it, Cole, we actually have a nonprofit organization here in America our nonprofit organization, the tax designation is what's called a 501c3. It's just a reference of a tax code, which is a nonprofit charitable organization. He said, let's do that. Let's start raising money. And I want to expand your vision. You've got 25 kids at your orphanage. That's your capacity. Sometimes we have as much as 27, but really 25 is our capacity. Cole, it's been like that since 2010. Let's go crazy. So Danny comes in. We create a 501c3. I talked about it at Thrive. I talked about it at Summit, the two events that I hosted. Between those two events, we raised $700,000, which is just wow. still gets me emotional. And, and I just appreciate anybody listening to this right now that was one of those donors. I love you. Thank you. And I actually became a legal resident of Mexico. I'm, I'm at the end of that legal process now. And I'll spare the details, but we have to create what's called a Fidelissimo. It's kind of like a nonprofit organization in Mexico that I can now do as a legal resident, which is also cool. I go to Cabo quite a bit and I now don't have to wait in the long American line where it says Mexican <laughs> residents. I can walk right over there and people be like, who's this white guy? And I'll get right through now, baby. But, but as a legal, so to be clear, I'm not a citizen of Mexico. I'm still only a citizen of the United States. I do not have dual citizenship that will come in the future if I choose to, but I am a legal resident of Mexico. And so we have bought or we're in escrow and we'll be closing on four and a half new acres. We're going to build a big center home called Encanto, just like the little kids movie, which is going to be kind of like an event center, a bunch of showers, a bunch of toilets and bathrooms and a chapel for like Sunday school, etc. And then we're going to build 30 little casitas around the Encanto house, which houses two women. We're going to open up and expand a program that we have, which works with women who are recovering addicts. What we learned with our nonprofit down in Mexico or with our orphanage in Mexico is there are the orphan kids. And then there are these women who are struggling to get clean, who also have children. And so we want to help these women get clean and foster care their children at our orphanage. So their children would live at the orphanage with our orphans while mom's getting sober. And then when mom's back on her feet and ready to rejoin society, she would retake her children and go and do so. And we will have kept her kids safe. Well, we don't have the room and space to do that and to bring that vision into reality. Well, we now do with the 700,000 that we raised in the four and a half acres we're buying. 
the reason it's taken as long as it has is for me to become a resident, right? And so we're going to own this land, which is the next lot over from my existing orphanage. We bought the land for my orphanage back in 2012. So we already own that and we're good to go. I bought that in the name of a pastor and his wife who are Mexicans who live in Mexico full time. It is their job to run my ministry. In the new land, we're buying it in the name of our nonprofit now that we have one. And so uh, maybe I'm going too much into the details, but the vision is we will have 60 women who are recovering addicts, who are in this community, who are going to daily rehab to get sober and to change their lives. Any of those women who happen to have children, which is most of them, their children will live at our orphanage. We will be able to have between 40 and 60 orphans, plus be able to foster these kids' women now. We're building new house houses for our staff as well, for staff housing. And we're just going to the freaking moon on this thing. And so we will, when all of the dust settles, we'll be taking care of somewhere around 80 children and as many as 60 women. The children will be going through our children's programs that we've created. We provide all their medical care for them. We put them through school. We do everything that they need to thrive. And then we'll be helping their moms get sober for those that have moms. And then the rest of them that are true orphans will be going through the adoption process, finding and being placed with new families. So it's super cool. It's been, like I said, a passion project of mine since 2010. It's now something that I raise money with and talk about publicly because I had that shift with Danny and Danny is the reason that all these incredible things are happening. And he's a random dude that found me on Instagram that joined my mastermind. And so another example of how important proximity is and how important it is to be in groups of people. But because of Danny, I'm not going to make more money. In fact, I'm going to spend more money on my orphanage, but I'm going to help a few hundred Mexican people, whether it's the women or children, every single year. And the last thing I'll say before you can get on to your next question is, regardless of your political views in America, for any of your American audience, our southern borders right now are a disaster and human trafficking is up like 1400%. And my orphanage happens to be in a border town, meaning that it's close enough in proximity to the United States that when the border is in chaos, there are children that are being stolen right off the street and human trafficked into America for sex slavery. You assume that sex slavery only happens in like Southeast Asia or somewhere else in the world. There's more of it in America than any other country. It is disgusting. Part of that is our population is so large, but it's disgusting. And the number one way to get these children who aren't just Mexican, by the way, <clears throat> a lot of these terrorists, I call them terrorists, and not in the knocking down buildings, but of what they're doing to children, They'll bring Asian children, European children, African children into Mexico right now and then up and into our border because America's wide open. And so there are so many kids being stolen off the streets to then be forced into sex slavery and walked across the border because we have no border control right now that right now it's an actual emergency that Danny and I house as many kids as we can because a lot of the orphans that we have we get off the street, we put a roof over the head and we keep them safe. And they are being targeted right now for human trafficking. So it's way bigger than just an orphanage and way bigger now than just helping women recover from addiction. We're actually saving at-risk children who are walking the streets from being stolen into slavery. So regardless if you think the current administration in America is doing well or not, and wherever your political views lie, it is a fact that the borders are a disaster and it is creating massive carnage for children being stolen to satisfy Western men's sexual appetite, which is absolutely pitiful and almost makes me not want to be American. But I understand that it's in every country around the world. And it's just something that I'm obviously passionate about. 
Hey man, thank you for sharing that. And I think for me specifically, and possibly Randy too, I'm not sure you can hop in with the yes or no and two, but when you took the Thrive Connect group, your mastermind down to the orphanage, I had to miss the first year that we were part of it, but I was able to join the second year. And that was my first like physical experience, like kind of donating my time outside of the Victoria, British Columbia, Canada space. It was the first time that I really got to see on a more intimate setting the space they live, the impact that you can have and how a business that I get to love and pour all my heart into every single day gets to complement and impact so many other people's lives in other spaces. So that was, I'll just say thank you, man, for that experience because it really lit me particularly on fire in this particular space. It was that moment, it was that experience that I got that really like threw a lot of passion into the Scope Big Big Journey. But is there another moment, I'm sure there's many, but is there one particular one that really stands out for you that is kind of almost at the core of your heart that when you think back onto it, maybe there's a tear that you think about, or maybe there's just a moment of giving that still gives you goosebumps, like in a really impactful way for you. Yeah. The problem is picking which one. And (laughs) as I'm answering this, you guys, I dare any of you listening to this to call Randy, Steve Rye out on that by being charitable by being generous to somebody else that you can't buy happiness. Talk about a tear coming down. Like I've written checks or used my money in a way that has fulfilled me in ways that nothing else has. I'm a father. I'm a husband. I have a beautiful wife. I have beautiful children and I get fulfillment from a ton of things, but actually writing a check and seeing someone's life change impacts you in a very unique way. I'm not going to say it's better than fatherhood or any of that. Let me make sure I'm not miscommunicating that, but it's There's a part of your heart that comes alive that only comes alive for you personally helping someone else, not just writing a check to the Red Cross and being like, okay, I'm sure someone somewhere will benefit from that. But you like finding a starving homeless person. And if you don't want to give them money because you're afraid they're going to buy drugs, giving them food, if they're sitting in front of a Taco Bell, asking them what they'd like to order, going in and bringing them their order. Tell me that you feel worse after doing so you're either lying or you're broken. You are going to be happier and you can absolutely buy your happiness. And I challenge anyone out there to prove me wrong. You can't, you cannot prove me wrong. Okay. So that being said, there's a lot of examples. I'll share one in particular. This is a family friend, so I'll keep names and details out of it. But um, one of my mom's most dear friends was at the airport 16 years ago, getting dropped off to get onto an airplane. And the car behind her thought that they put the car in park, but it was still in drive got out of the car and it rolled in and it pinned her. Imagine that you're standing at the back of your car, unloading your suitcases and the car that was behind you rolls into the back of you. So it destroyed the back of her hamstrings and it destroyed her knees to the point where she was crippled for 16 years. She couldn't fly on airplanes. She couldn't straighten her legs. She was in a wheelchair and or crutches. And it went from a totally healthy person. You guys can imagine being pinned between two cars, even though it was low speed, low impact, cars are heavy. So it crushed her bones, crushed her tendons, crushed her ligaments. Well, fast forward and I meet this woman and she's so positive and so amazing. And she mattered so much to my mom. She was my mom's roommate back when they were in college. And so I just started asking questions about her injuries. And long story short, it turned out that there were remedies available to her that were just not affordable. They're not covered by insurance. And because it's not life-threatening, it's almost cosmetic in the sense that she can go and have operations and procedures done to restore her ability to walk. She just couldn't financially afford it. And it still gets me emotional to this day that here's a woman 
who can't walk because she can't afford to pay for some stupid procedure. So I, I talked to Sonia. She agreed. We decided to completely fund her operations. And over the course of the next 18 months, she went from being crippled and bound into a wheelchair and on very rare occasions being able to walk with crutches to now she has complete mobility. She doesn't use a wheelchair. She doesn't use crutches. She's able to go anywhere, travel anywhere. She couldn't fly on airplanes because her leg had to be straight. That's what it was. It wasn't down. It was her leg was locked frozen straight. It didn't bend at all anymore. And so she can't sit in an airplane. She now gets to travel and see her grandchildren and her children and all this stuff. And her life has changed so much all because somebody wrote a check. And so I would say, and this one's fresh in my mind because I just got to see her. My parents just celebrated their 50 year wedding anniversary. And she was there, the life of the party running around. And I elbowed my wife and we both got a little emotional because I was like, Look at this woman running around this party. You would never even know that a few years ago she was in a wheelchair. And we did that. I like elbowed my wife. I was like, we did that. And we don't normally talk about this stuff publicly, but for the sake of this podcast, this is one of the happiest experiences of my life. And all I did was wrote a check. I totally bought my happiness. That is such an inspirational story. And I just love I love those stories so much more than people that are writing checks for the Red Cross and stuff. Uh, we've had a lot of guests on this podcast, and I would say every single one of them that tears up is tearing up because of a moment like that where they impacted yeah. somebody's life, whether it was a $15 or $20 purchase that helped somebody or a procedure in a medical space. It's absolutely amazing. And it leads us into our final, what we call giving round, where we want to continue to feel some of that emotion as we ask you a few quick rapid fire questions about giving. Is that cool? Absolutely. You guys, um, you got, you two know I'm so passionate about this, but just to your listeners, you guys, I want to say one more thing. Every dollar counts. So as we get into talking more about giving, if you're not in the financial position that I'm in or that Randy and Steve are in, so cool. Give something, give your time, if nothing else, but you have to give, you have to activate that part of your heart. You have to know what it feels like to directly impact another human being's life. It is why God put us on earth. You will never feel more in alignment or more centered ever doing anything else. No big project, no crushing in your best quarterly year or whatever. None of that matters as much as knowing that someone's life is changed forever because of you. So if you can write big checks, go ahead and do so. But if you can't give something for now. So yeah, let's start it, Randy. Let's go. Boom. Other than your own, brag on one charity that you like right now. I've always been a huge fan of Claire's Place Foundation. You guys know Claire sadly passed away. She was born with cystic fibrosis and we had the honor of having her speak at Thrive and we're dear friends of hers. And then sadly got the news of September, 2019 that she had passed. And so one of the reasons I love her nonprofit, I don't have cystic fibrosis. No one that I know has cystic fibrosis. I just love Claire. And then I love that her nonprofit is 100% pass through, meaning they don't have staff that has salary. They don't have an office. It is ran completely by volunteers out of Claire's mom's home. So when you give a dollar, every penny goes towards the cause and not even 5% is peeled off for operations and admin. And so I oftentimes lean in towards the organizations where a hundred percent of my donation goes towards the cause. And Claire's Place Foundation is... I think it's just clairsplacefoundation.org is a great place for anyone to consider a new charity to give to. I always think of her when I think of when I see butterflies. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I got a butterfly tattoo for her. 
What gets you more excited today? Donating a million dollar check or spending a week physically helping others? I'm going to say right now, B, writing a million dollar check is cool. I've given well over a million dollars, but I'm, I was even telling my wife this, I'm kind of longing the physical labor aspect of it right now. And the, like, like Steve, if I'm being totally honest, I'm in the financial position where writing checks is a little bit easy, right? Like, how do I say that without sounding arrogant? I'm not talking big checks, but when they're like, hey, Cole, we need a new refrigerator and it's 2,500 bucks at Lowe's or whatever, Home Depot in Mexico to get them a new refrigerator, I just go buy them a new refrigerator. The $2,500 is kind of insignificant, but we're putting a new roof on the pastor's house and I'm going to go down there with the tear-off crew and go and spend three days getting blisters and bloodied, ripping the roof off of my pastor's home for us to then put a new roof on that we paid for. And ripping the roof off, I know is going to feel better than writing the check for the new roof to get put on. So I don't think that there's a right or a wrong answer, but where I'm at right now is the checks are important and the checks will keep coming. But for me personally, it's hard to do the work. It is easy to write a check for $100. Let's just make it smaller. It's easier to write a $100 check than it is to show up and serve for an entire day. And so for me right now, I'm challenging myself to to maintain my servant's heart by doing more of the in-person and less of the just check writing. That's incredible. Absolutely love hearing that. I couldn't agree more. Who inspires you with their giving? Man, I'm a... Gives me emotional. I'm gonna say my sister. My my sister is a huge inspiration to me of where I get my servant's heart. She was a missionary first, as you guys know. I was briefly a missionary in Mexico, which is where the orphanage came from. But there's a lot of really incredible people. I've quoted Tony Robbins on here, and in the Tony Robbins Foundation, like gives I think a million Thanksgiving meals a year, and like there's so many guys that give big. But there's a story in the Bible of where there are all these wealthy people giving money to Jesus. And then a woman walks in and only has like two pennies and people are mocking her and Jesus condemns them and says, truly she has given more than anyone because she gave all that she has. And like, that's my sister, man. She being a missionary has nothing and will give you (laughs) everything she has, including the shirt off of her back. So I would say my sister's servant heart and servant leadership inspires me more than any of these mega millionaires that give millions of dollars away. Beautiful. Somebody's about to start wound up on here. (laughs) Somebody's about to start a business. And do you think that they should include some sort of give back from day one or wait until they've seen a little bit of success first? No, I think they should give back from day one. I think that it's an important part to be the fundamentals of how the business operates. So I don't think the business can even turn on without that charitable aspect being connected to it in the sense that you don't start a business and then figure out how it's going to be for purpose. You, as you're creating your business, figure out how it's going to be for purpose because it's fundamentally Tom's shoes. They didn't start selling shoes and then one day say, hey, we're doing so well. We're going to start giving free shoes away. Blake Mikowski, the founder of Tom's, was visiting Argentina, saw these impoverished children running around barefoot, saw that there was a need. And his original vision was just to help that little tribe in South America. His original vision wasn't even to go on to be worth 350 million as he is today. It was to just go home to America to figure out how to get some shoes together for those particular children that he saw with his own eyes. So from day one, He started traveling around to colleges and selling Tom's shoes out of the trunk of his car so that he would then have the money he needed to just go and give shoes to those kids down in Argentina. 
long story short, he was so successful that now he is a multi, multi million, possibly billion dollar brand. I don't even know how big Tom's shoes is today. And he's worth almost 400 million, which is just mind blowing. But to your question, it started from day one. So I think that every business owner who's aspirational in owning a business one day and is working out the details of how they would run a company in that same conversation, they're going to figure out what's the charitable give, what's the social aspect, what's the for purpose element, and then open their doors. Beauty. And they'll do better, by the way, if anyone's listening to this, like your company will do better being for purpose from day one. If it's properly put into your marketing messaging. Absolutely. 100% agree with that one. What's the first thing you think of when you hear go big to give big? I'm personally convicted. Have moments of celebration when we do something big down in Mexico or in any of the other stuff that I contribute to because I, I do own my orphanage. We talked a lot about that, but I do connect to other charities and just send money for them to do the work that they're doing like Claire's Place. I'm under-equipped to help the cystic fibrosis community, but I'm passionate about that nonprofit. So I have companies that give every time we sell a product or service in this business, Claire's Place Foundation wins, right? But that being said, I feel like the biggest part for me, actually, let me go back. What was the question again? I just got so distracted thinking about how much, oh yeah, duh, how big I want to go. Back to your question. I feel that when I hear go big to give big, I instantly do what you just witnessed in real life. I think about how big I've gone, but how much bigger I want to go. So for me, it's a challenge. And I literally just got distracted and almost forgot the question because in my brain, I was thinking of how much more I want to be doing than I'm currently doing. And so literally the in-person demonstration of what go big to give big does for me is it challenges me to say, hey, I'm doing good. So, so that's good. I don't have to feel down on myself but what in the heck could I be doing larger? And then I get lost in thought as you just witnessed of thinking about how much more I wish I could be doing. And so go give or go big to give big for me is challenging myself to continue to be going bigger to give bigger. Love that. What is the primary emotion that you get when you give? Overwhelm. I don't even want to say happiness, just overwhelm, just where you have to like gasp prayer and take a second before you speak or your voice will crack. I believe, and this is not to put my beliefs on anyone else, but I believe that I'm supposed to do four things on earth. I'm supposed to love God. I'm supposed to live in my talents. I'm supposed to enjoy the things that God has given me. And I'm supposed to love others as I love my, as I equally as I would love myself. Right. And because I believe helping others is literally why I live on earth. And I believe that to my core being able to do so gives me this rush, this emotional feeling that's really unique. So it's it's not like I can say happiness. It's not like I can say joy. It is its own experience and its own emotion that the way it feels is like butterflies in your stomach, goosebumps on your skin. You get a hot flash and you just feel like crying. That's the best way to explain it in a good way. Like, like you you get so emotional inside that it like bubbles up out through your eyeballs. And that is what giving does for me. And it's a mix of joy and happiness and all of that. But yeah, it's unique to giving because I'm doing my, in my belief system, I'm doing why God put me on this earth. And so nothing puts me in more alignment than that. And so I just have a really unique emotional experience attached to it. Very cool. Love that answer. The final question and oddly enough came from your own personal TED talk. We ask all of our guests this. 
do you believe that money can buy you happiness? So brag on it for a minute. Yeah, guys, if you think that money can't buy happiness, that's an old saying. And I agree with it. If you're shopping at a Lamborghini dealership or if you're shopping in Nordstrom's or whatever, if you're going to go buy yourself a reward, you hit a big goal. You told yourself if you make your first million dollar month, you're going to go buy that Lambo. You hit your million dollar month, you bought the Lambo. You're going to be so happy for like four months. And then it's just another car. And then you just don't care anymore. So then this misbelief, this myth, this fib started floating around by all of these people that were trying to become happy through monetary gain. They were trying to be happy by getting more possessions. And no matter how much money they made and more, no matter how much stuff they bought, they would always come back to this place of it's not enough. And so then they started saying, well, clearly you can't buy happiness because I bought my dream home. I bought the dream cars. I take the dream vacations. I've got the dream jet. I've got the dream wife. I've got the dream life and I'm not happy. So you can't buy happiness. They're wrong because they never tried buying something for someone else that they couldn't buy themselves. For instance, my wife and I have been able to put kids through college now that aren't mine. My oldest is nine years old. I do not have kids in college, but we were able to put a few people through college. And now I see them in thriving degree or degrees, careers. They got their degrees. Now they're in thriving careers. That makes me so happy. My orphans, that makes me so happy. Talking about that woman who couldn't walk, who now walks perfectly, that makes me happy. So I now know with certainty, because I've done it thousands and thousands of times, that if you're shopping in the right place, money absolutely can buy happiness. And in this case, I challenge everyone on here, stop looking for happiness in row 16 at the local grocery store, wherever you shop and start helping people directly. Last thing I'll say, Randy, because this is probably a longer answer than you wanted, but I would never discourage anybody who's listening to this to give to charity, be charitable, give to your church, give to charity. That's all fine. But where you're going to feel the happiness is to give directly in the sense that there's a starving person sitting on the street and you pay to feed them instead of paying the Red Cross. When you give them their food, if you have the time, I just challenge you to sit down with them and enjoy their meal with them. If you were buying food, just sit with a stranger. It'll be awkward for two minutes and then you guys will have broken the ice and it'll be having a conversation with just any other human. And you're sitting on the ground next to them and you're having a conversation. I can't tell you how many times I've done this with a homeless person and they tell me something along the lines of they can't remember the last time that they had a conversation because everyone just shuns them and ignores them. And so sit down with a homeless person, spend $20 to feed them. Now they're not using it on drugs or alcohol and then have a one-on-one conversation about just small talk, talk to them about the weather, talk to them about politics or whatever, maybe not politics, right? Especially in today's world, but talk to them about whatever random things come to mind. And I promise you when they're done eating and you've said goodbye, you will be happier at the end of that conversation than when you started and you will have bought your happiness period. So I dare every single person live listening to this right now to try buying happiness. And if you do it the right way, you absolutely will. And you'll say, holy cow, that Randy guy, that Steve guy, and that, what was his name? Kyle Cole, that mm-hmm. Cole guy. They knew what they were talking about. You really can buy your happiness. A freaking men. That was, and that's something you taught us along the way in your mastermind and something that Steve and I still apply today. And we went down to somebody from your mastermind owns a similar orphanage type thing down in Mexico. Yeah. Larry. Uh, international, yeah. Larry runs International Network of Hearts. Yep. And Steve and I went down there and some of the memories I'll remember was going and buying them some sort of cheeseburgers or ice creams and going back to the orphanage and giving it to the kids. It cost us 50 bucks or something like that. Uh, But watching those kids eat those meals and eat the things that they get to have and just have us present while we're doing it, man, 
those are memories that I will never forget. And how I view buying my happiness in that moment of $50 bought me more happiness that four years later, it's still the first thing that comes to mind when I think of it. So I yeah. 100% agree with what you were saying. And I was just grateful to give you that opportunity to share. Uh, I'm going to connect a dot to something I said in the first 15 minutes of this podcast. Regardless, I've been transparent about my religious belief system. Regardless of your listeners, of what you do or don't believe in right now, you as a human being were wired to give. It's a fact. I know it. You don't need to believe what anyone else believes. Try it. Try what Randy was just talking about. Try helping someone in some way, buying a cheeseburger and some ice cream at an orphanage, whatever it takes. And I promise you, you will start to taste what it is that we've been talking about and you'll want more of it and you'll want more of it. And then you'll realize the only way to sustain the amount of giving that you want to give is to start a for-purpose business. You're going to say, I need a freaking company to fund this and welcome to the world that we all live in. Boom. Couldn't have ended the podcast any better, man. Well, thank you, Cole, so much for coming out. I absolutely have loved this conversation. And in a few minutes to share how people can get connected to you, maybe get connected to your orphanage. You just got the open mic for a minute to just share about how people can get involved with you. Sure. Yeah. I guess just the only thing is my social media is Instagram is the only one I use anymore. And it's just my name at Cole Hatter. And whenever we go down to the orphanage or have public things, I announce it there. We don't actually even have a website yet. It's called the Thrive Foundation, of course. So we've got Thrive Make Money Matter. We've got the Thrive Academy. We've got Thrive Connect. Now we have Thrive Foundation, but we don't even have a place for donations at this point. So if you want to support me, the best way that you can do that is start a for-purpose business and talk about it. You guys, this didn't come up, but do you know what's super cool is I'm seeing Make Money Matter. I just got an email inviting me to a networking event where they're going to be doing some charitable auction at the networking event. And he said, come learn how to make money and make money matter. This guy, I didn't even know who he is. And he's using something that I've trademarked and owned. I then saw an ad on Facebook to go to an event about Make Money Matter. So it's super cool. So the best way for your audience to support me is to create for-purpose businesses. Or if you have a business, convert it to a for-purpose business and go Make Money Matter and then talk about it. It's not arrogant. It's only arrogant if you talk about your personal giving. Like, like I'm so rich. Look at all the people I'm helping. But when it's about your business and you say, hey, we sell shoes. And for every pair of shoes we sell, we give a pair away. That's not even about you. That's about your business. That's, a, again, an ex a reference to Tom's. But don't be bashful or shy about it. Make noise. Nothing would make Randy, Steve, or myself happier than know that 20, 30, 150 for-purpose businesses came out of this podcast. That's the best way to support me. And then find me on Instagram, at Cole Hatter. Shoot me a DM and say, I heard you on the podcast. Here's what I'm doing in my business, and here's who I'm helping. And that's the ROI I can get for my time here today. There it is, folks. Well, thank you again, Cole. That was a lot of fire. And like I said, the inspiration why this podcast was created and having you come on and share that story is monumental to us to be able to help portray our message to our guests in just a different voice. And you always say every message needs a different messenger. And it was just incredible to have you be able to share that with our audience. So thanks for coming on. Yeah, yeah thanks, man. That was special. Thanks for having me, guys. And congrats again on all your guys' massive success. Super proud of you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the show. If you know someone who's an example of Go Big to Get Big, we would love if you could share this with them. We want to get our message out to as many listeners as we can, and it all starts by having people like you share it with your friends. Also, if you enjoyed the show, take 30 seconds and give us a five-star review. It's a simple act of giving that is free for you 
helps us grow our message and in return allows others to find us sooner. And until the next episode, remember, always go bigger with your dreams and goals so you can give bigger with your profit.